0: Hello, and welcome to Sewer Signals, a podcast on utility experiences with wastewater surveillance. I'm Anna Marotra, Director of the Wastewater Surveillance Program at the Water Environment Federation, and I'm very pleased to be talking to two water professionals from Calgary, Canada today. Welcome, Kevin and Norma. How are you both doing? Very good, thank you.
1: Yeah, excellent.
0: Great to be talking with the two of you, and thank you for being my first canadian guests all right so norma ricker has worked at the city of calgary for 11 years in her current position of leader microbiology and watershed assessment she contributes to the governance and planning for the water service oversees microbiological testing and ensures regulatory compliance provides stewardship of watershed monitoring program Facilitates water quality investigations and stewards research partnerships on behalf of the water utility. She has a PhD from the Department of Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, and she has two adjunct appointments at the University of Waterloo one in biology and one in civil engineering. With Norma today is Kevin Frankowski, who is the Executive Director of Advancing Canadian Water Assets or AQUA which is a partnership between the City of Calgary and the University of Calgary that focuses on research and innovation, including technology de-risking and validation. Kevin is also a co-leader of the Pan Alberta Wastewater Monitoring Program, which monitors 80% of Alberta's population and more than 94% of Alberta's urban population three times a week. And really that's, that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Kevin has a Bachelor of Science Honors Degree in Ecology from the University of Calgary and a Master's of Applied Science in Environmental Civil Engineering, specializing in wastewater treatment from the University of British Columbia. And just a note on Calgary, it is the largest city, but not the capital city, of the province of Alberta. Um, And just for all of us folks from down south. Alberta is one of 10 provinces in Canada, and you also have three territories. And as I'm sure you know, Alberta is big. I I did the calculation and you could fit about 24 of my home state of Massachusetts inside your province. And apparently Calgary was ranked um, alongside Zurich as the third most livable city in the world, making it the most livable city in North America. So do you guys agree with that ranking of a livable city?
1: absolutely it's great up here
2: I think Calgary is a fantastic
0: city to live in oh that's wonderful so I got to put it on my list of places to visit so let's talk about wastewater surveillance so Norma tell me a little bit about when and how the city of Calgary got started with its wastewater surveillance program for COVID
2: well When you asked me that question in advance, I went back into my emails and the first email I got was April 14th, 2020. So very early in our pandemic uh, experience here in Alberta. I think I started working from home on March 23rd, 2020. So this was early in, in our in our, our pandemic experience when when I received the first email as someone who stewards the partnerships for the utility. So this will have come to me from our director. And I believe the University of Calgary's Faculty of Medicine reached out to our then Mayor Nenshi and our chief of our emergency management system. And then it, it would have taken a few days to uh, work its way to me. But yes, April 2020 is when we when we started this adventure.
0: Wow. So so right at the beginning. And Kevin, tell us a little bit about what was going on in Alberta generally at the time with wastewater surveillance.
1: Uh, essentially nothing. Um, I hadn't even heard of the, the term until um, Dr. Ed McCauley, who's the president of the University of Calgary, uh, connected me with the the then dean of the coming School of Medicine here. Um, John Mettings and and, uh, and said, you know, you guys should talk because I think that there's an opportunity here to to take the questions that Dr. Meddings is asking around, um, you know, how can we do population-based monitoring for this new thing that's that's come through, and you know, we're still getting our heads wrapped around what it's going to look like, and some of the the wastewater work and the engineering stuff that, that you guys do at Aqua, and so that sort of kicked off a conversation. Um, it turns out that once we started looking around the campus, there were four different groups on campus that were all pursuing funding applications. And, you know, somebody suggested, well, maybe you guys should consolidate and work together. And so that's what we did. We created this quite large interdisciplinary team and none of us had experience in wastewater-based epidemiology or monitoring or surveillance, whatever term we, we want to use. But we all had part of the requisite skills, and so we we brought them together. And I think that's one of the key successes is, is just this multidisciplinary, diverse team who learned enough about each other's disciplines so that we could talk to each other and figure out the, the best way to, to come up the learning curve. Obviously, uh, other groups in the world had done this, you know, Most recently in in the Netherlands, but, you know, for quite a while on a much smaller scale in Israel and places like that. And so there was a base to work from, but we all needed to figure out what we didn't know.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about it. It takes sort of all different disciplines and areas of expertise working together and sort of speaking the same language. The partners that you sort of reached out to and brought together early on, is that who you're still working with in Alberta? Tell me a little bit more about who all is involved in wastewater surveillance in Alberta.
1: Yeah, so it's from the U of C's, the University of Calgary side. Uh, it started off with medicine, science, uh, and engineering, uh, along with Aqua coming together and, and forming that, that core team. Obviously, partnering with the, the city as our key municipal partner was you know, critical. And so hence those early emails to, to Norma from UFC and uh, And then we've grown the program from there. The University of Alberta, which is located in Edmonton, the second largest city in, in Alberta, it had a similar process going on. And as time went by, um, we've combined forces, we're, we're very um, well-integrated collaborators now. And so that the current Pan-Alberta project is a U of C, U of A-led initiative in partnership with the municipalities, Calgary, Edmonton, and, and 42 other municipalities across the province, Alberta Health and Alberta Health Services. And so, you know, Alberta, we have an integrated healthcare system. Um, so Alberta Health Services is the single Healthcare provider in the province. Um, and uh, so we work obviously very closely uh, with them.
0: Wow. So, so a lot of partners. Oh yeah. Um, so Norma, just getting into the nitty gritty a little bit for, for you all in the city of Calgary, who does
2: the, the sample collection? That's a, a couple of different uh, groups of people. So for one, uh, we have three wastewater treatment plants in, in Calgary and we collect composite samples every day from those wastewater treatment plants for, for our work. So we were able to subsample those. So the water treatment operators bring those composite samples that are collected over a 24 hour period into our, our water quality laboratory every day. And we are able to subsample those and, and send them off to Kevin's team down at aqua um, three times a week. That's it, that is the most efficient way because it's, it's work that's already taking place. We've for a few years now have also been deploying auto samplers to collect 24 hour composite samples into the, into the collection system of our wastewater collection system. So we've been for a few years actually monitoring for the program from, our, from three of our hospitals and uh, those are collected by a different group in in the city. We have a a group specifically called the Industrial Monitoring Group, who part of their portfolio is to look at industrial uh, waste and and surcharge and and their programs that are really designed to protect our wastewater infrastructure from you know fats, oils, and greases and and various things like that. So they've been doing that work. And then depending on where we've been in the program, we've also had that team collecting some additional samples from various parts of the collection system. And this has been the the large hiccup for, for us. It's uh, time consuming. You need a lot of specialized equipment and specialized training. And so, you know, again, the university would love to have more samples from us, but, you know, we're doing what we can with the resources we we have available. Yeah, makes sense.
0: And so you're collecting these samples at the treatment plant and some upstream, you're mailing them, or do they get couriered to the lab um, at University of Calgary, or how do they get transported? We find that that's, that's often a very challenging step, actually getting the samples from the treatment facility to the lab. So kind of walk me through how that works for you.
2: Yeah, we cur- they get couriered. So okay. um, we're carrying samples from, from our laboratory to multiple places every day. So couriers coming and going aren't a, a real big issue for us. But yes, so the university has arranged a courier that comes to our laboratory, picks up the samples and takes them where they need to go. Got it. And then
0: Kevin, where are the samples actually being analyzed? And I guess we can focus on SARS-CoV-2 for now, and maybe we'll talk about other targets later. But Who's actually doing the analyses?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question, Anna. And and so we have two labs um, that each does a portion of our workflow. So we have we basically have three steps to our workflow. It's it's the sample acquisition, as Normas just talked about. Um, then there's what we call the sample cleanup and concentrating step, and that's performed at uh, the lab at Aqua. And Aqua is actually located within one of the city of Calgary's wastewater treatment plants. And so we have facilities and a lab down at the Pine Creek wastewater treatment plant. And so we do the, the first step there. And then the extracts, the concentrates get shipped up to the main campus. And there's a lab at the Foothills Hospital there where the PCR analysis is done. And separating those two steps in the workflow Across two different labs is actually very advantageous because it really reduces the risk of cross contamination. Kind of the the raw wastewater comes comes into the aqua lab, the extracts leave. There is no raw wastewater going into the PCR lab, and so that helps with our data quality.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. I'm guessing it took a little bit of trial and error to get to that current workflow.
1: Uh, the the yes, uh, you know the the broad brush strokes of that workflow were pretty obvious uh, early on, but figuring out the nuances and getting the system dialed in and exactly how big a manifold do we need and you know what primers do we need, all those sorts of details. It's a fair amount of effort by some very talented and qualified people as, as we work through. And, you know, the <laughs> interesting, uh, there's chemists on our team and, and they kind of just shake their heads at the variability that, that occurs when you deal with biology. Um, and so we take, you know, our QAQC procedures very seriously because there is a lot of heterogeneity in wastewater anyways, and now you're, you're looking for needles in a haystack against this very noisy kind of data background. And so we're, we're working to make sure that our workflow results in the cleanest data possible.
0: All right. So you've got the system dialed in. You're collecting samples three times a week. You mentioned Norma. And so, Kevin, you're generating all these data. How are the wastewater data being used for public health yeah. actions specifically?
1: Right. Yeah, so, so three times per week that, that data gets provided to Alberta Health Services, what I mentioned earlier. Uh, it also gets posted to our public-facing COVID tracker website. So anyone in the general public can, can view it in near real time. Um, you know, as soon as we have the data generated, we post it there. And so it's available for everyone to see. And uh, we'll provide the the link to that if if people are interested in it. From a general public perspective, people can log in and see the, you know, gene copies per mail at Calgary versus Edmonton versus, you know, any of the other um, municipalities across Alberta that are participating. They can zoom in on different um, time windows to see, you know, what it, what it was like in the last month or the last year. And so it's, it's quite a nice system that the uh, Center for Health Informatics at, at the University of Calgary has set up on this COVID tracker. They've done an excellent job. And we find that it's a very popular site. We get a lot of hits uh, every day on it. People are starting to use it. Some people say like a weather app, right? It's like, oh, what's going on with COVID this week? Am I actually going to go to that football game or the Christmas gathering or, or whatever, right? And so people kind of use it in, in that way for their own personal risk assessment. And the sort of more official, you know, Alberta Health Services um, perspective, how to, to use the data to guide policy. It's, it's being used informally right now to augment a number of other data sources, which is appropriate. I think all of us on, on the wastewater monitoring team recognize that this is only one piece of information and it needs to be combined with you know a, a bunch of other pieces of data in order to make informed decisions. The holy grail that we would all like is, okay, if the gene copies per mil go above this threshold, we're going to call it a yellow, and that means that this happens, and if it goes above this threshold, it's a red, and that, and that happens. Um, I think the reality is, is that getting to those thresholds is very, very challenging, and, and I'm not sure that we're going to get there anytime soon. You know, COVID and other pathogens is, is a constantly moving target. It evolves rapidly. The virus itself changes, the actual impact and how it manifests as a disease changes, and and what that means in the context of everything else that's that's going on is constantly changing. And so, you know, setting any particular action threshold um, would need to be a very well-informed and probably dynamic process.
0: It really is a lot about looking at the trends at this point. I know a lot of folks have tried to Established thresholds, but the trends are valuable in and of themselves.
1: I think it's very important for people to understand that while this is a very powerful and informative platform, they can't lose sight of its limitations. So one of the things that Dr. Mike Parkinson, who's one of the co-leads on the project, he's created a little YouTube video that's uh, you can access through the COVID tracker that kind of explains, you know, how to how to use this data and how not to use it. And and one of the things that that he explains in there is you can't compare between cities. So just because Calgary's at X gene copies per mil and Edmonton's at Y, there's a whole bunch of reasons why those numbers might be different, right? The, the, the methods used to generate those numbers um, are slightly different. The wastewater in each of those cities is, is different in terms of other you know, inputs, dilution, you know that sort of stuff, matrix interferences. And so it, this is not really the absolute number for wastewater-based epidemiology across the province. You know, the these of the set thresholds. No, it's very much site-specific or municipality-specific. And so, as you said, the, the trends and, and viewing the trends within a city is, is really what's important. So those time series graphs per location are critical.
0: Absolutely. And I'll just say that we will put the links to your... Your Alberta dashboard and also to this video, which sounds fantastic, and then the notes to this this episode. So let's talk about money. How has this program been funded over time, and how is it currently funded? Maybe that's a question for you again, Kevin.
1: Uh, Sure. Yeah. In the early days when none of us knew what we were doing, it was okay, well, let's start writing grant applications. Um, This is, uh, you know, we're on the learning curve. This is new. So this is a research project. And, and so we wrote a, a large number of, of grant applications. Um, our very first one was from the Canadian Institute of Health Research. And so they, they funded essentially a, a proof of concept project, if you, if you want. And, uh, and since then we've successfully secured successive grant applications. Um, you know, essentially building upon the success as, as we figured out what worked and demonstrated that it was valuable. Um, currently the program is funded by Alberta Health. So the Pan Alberta project, which covers you know 80 percent of Alberta's population, is, is funded by Alberta Health, um, and so we're in our second year of, of funding with them. They've recognized the the value of uh, wastewater based monitoring, especially as the ability to secure other data sources like clinical testing has kind of waxed and waned as you know the pandemic has has shifted, and so you know the wastewater based um, data uh, is consistent. Uh, but more importantly, it's it's inclusive and unbiased, right? So everybody who uses the bathroom contributes to that signal. And as long as they're in the sewer shed, they're, they're contributing to the, the data. I think that's really important because, you know, now we're no longer subject to decisions around, do I want to go get clinically tested? Do I have access to the clinical testing? You know, all that sort of stuff. So you know, I'm automatically contributing to, to that signal, which is which is really important. you are collecting all segments of society, including including the marginalized segments. And, and that's that's super important.
0: So you talked about how the funding evolved and you're currently funded by um, Alberta Health. What does the future look like? You you mentioned that they've seen um, the value in wastewater surveillance. Is this a program that you think will be a lot around for, for a while or is it a shorter term program? Again, that's probably well, a question for you, Kevin, but then Norma, mm-hmm. I do have a, a question for you after that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know what the future holds. Um, you know only the future will tell. Um, obviously, we think that that we're contributing significant value to, to you know, developing a essentially a platform technology that adds a completely new toolbox to to the public health um, set of solutions, uh, and we think that it holds significant potential for the future. You know, we're not in charge of the funding decisions, unfortunately, but we're definitely having the conversations to, to make the case that. You know, even beyond COVID, there's some significant value being generated just on a per capita cost basis. Uh, we're doing that three times per week monitoring um, in larger urban centers where, you know, there's a lot of with a fairly high population contributing to the signal. Uh, we can generate this data for less than a dollar per year, three times per week right? Per person, per capita basis, right? And so, you know, I challenge anybody to to find any sort of public health monitoring program that, that has those sorts of economics. You can grow that list of target analytes that you're looking at from the value proposition of the immense. Now, of course, health budgets are, are stretched everywhere. And, and so, you know, the, the decision makers of the funding need to figure out how to fit this in within everything else that, that they're, they're trying to support. But You know, from our perspective, we see significant value.
0: Yeah, so Norm, I wanted to get back to you. So, you know, assuming that the um, Alberta Health continues to see value in this and fund this program, and you talked a little bit about some of the sampling challenges, not so much at your three treatment facilities, but more upstream. Is there any sort of challenges you'd want to resolve going forward to feel like you could participate in this program in the long term? or do you feel pretty comfortable that yeah we've got the capacity to to continue to participate at the level we're participating at
2: it's a good question and it's a hard question you know we are a municipally owned water utility so we will we also get direction from from our city council and and from other places and there's a huge desire to want to be involved it, it's always about resources. And, you know, for every resource that we're putting into collecting a sample, say, out in the collection system, what are are those resources not doing as part of our programs? And, you know, it's can we expand the number of resources? So it's always, it's every discussion we have in what any the utility is, is the resourcing things. And, and you know we've had lots of our discussions with Kevin in those forks about can we can we do it different? Can we resource it different? So we're exploring a lot of of options. But at the end of the day, as well, especially when we're working in the wastewater collection system, it's not that straightforward. Collection systems are complicated, and there are dangers. So. We have managed to do some really great stuff in the summers where we've partnered with the university in the summer where we can put their samplers above ground and just you know, run a, run a hose down in through a manhole and, and collect some samples, which is great, but they ca- manholes can't be in the middle of the street. So we have to find specific locations. We have H2S issues in parts of our system. So we have to be really, really careful about you know where we're we're sending people and how often when there's h2s we had an episode a few years ago where we lost one of the auto samplers into the collection system and it traveled 11 kilometers downstream and then choked our sanitary system and we got into a little bit of a pickle there so you know it's it's about you know having people trained to do this work wanting to to keep people safe I, you know when we're working in the collection system you need winches and, and, and those sorts of things. And so, you know, that's really when our communication has been really good with Kevin and the rest of the team and, you know, my management here at the city of You know, trying to find that right balance and and in some ways, creative ways of of doing things and public health surveillance is not our business. But if there's a public health benefit, what role do we play? And those are lots of the discussions that we have to have here. But the answers aren't always easy and straightforward because you know, every additional resources causes rates to go up. And especially with uh, inflation right now, we've had a lot of pressure on trying to do our very best to keep rates is are the increases in rates as low as possible. As
0: you mentioned, it's just exponentially that much more challenging to get samples out in the collection system. So shifting gears a little bit, are you analyzing for anything right now other than SARS-CoV-2?
1: Yes, we are. Um, influenza A and B, as well as RSV, are being analyzed, um, and that data is also available in the COVID tracker, so I guess at some point we need to rename the COVID tracker to something else. Respiratory disease tracker doesn't roll off the tongue as well, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that data is, is um, being analyzed and, and recorded publicly as well. Uh, we are you know, constantly looking at new analytes um, to add to the list, um, both biological and chemical. But, you know, there's lots of challenges with those. That assay development, despite the fact that there's an excellent global collaboration between all the different groups um, working on this, uh, developing those assays, even with that information sharing, is is challenging. It can be quite expensive. And not all of them um, work right and so it, as with any other innovation um, you know some of them are, are going to be home runs and, and others aren't and so some of the things that that we think about are you know like you asked the question earlier about what's the future of, of the program if if I had a magic wand and, and could could kind of you know make all the all the challenges disappear I think there's huge potential here for creating quite a broad spectrum of um, of analytes that, that we monitor for including Uh, other diseases, um, hepatitis, for example, Mm -hmm. maybe eventually, you know, years in the future, we can have chronic disease markers like diabetes or something like that. Who knows, right? I'm sure there's lots of technical challenges that need to be overcome in the lab. But you think about how that would transform the public health toolkit to be able to to look at aggregated population-based signals and, and see, you know, what resources need to be deployed or are or, or there is there predictive power in the data to say well you know as the population ages we are seeing these trends and and so you know let's get ready for for seeing these things starting to show up in clinic for example
0: um Norm I think you're very well acquainted with many different pathogens in wastewater is there one in particular that you would want to see this program applied to that Kevin hasn't mentioned
2: you know it's really where you want to go I mean there's largely right now are it's focused around some of these more seasonal uh, sporadic things, largely respiratory. But I mean, there's a whole array of and in- I mean, in the water world, we're always working on enteric everything. And, and public health in, in water has always been largely around enteric pathogens. And so I think we've always known that, that it's underrated. I mean, we do a lot of, of internal work. My background is really cryptosporidium we don't have good rates of a lot of illness. And so, you know, I think it would also be really good public health uh, tools to, to know, you know, what various, you know, even food poisoning cases were (laughs) essentially. So, you know, my background has always largely been enteric because I've always worked in the water and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think there's, there's room to like as Kevin said expand it into those sorts of things cuz we know all illness is underreported in from an epidemiological perspective that's very well understood in in science and public health well
0: shifting gears yet again i have one last question and i'd love to hear an answer from both of you what should people see when they come visit your city
2: I would just encourage people to come to our city and spend some time outdoors in our city. There, uh, There's a lot of beautiful architecture in our city. We've got a lot of very modern architecture. We have a lot of green space and we have miles and miles of walking paths and bike paths and scooter paths. We have two rivers that flow right through our, our city. Uh, You get a full, beautiful view of the Rocky Mountains from almost anywhere. So when people come to our city, I would encourage them to spend time outside and feel free to come when it's minus 30 because it's still beautiful.
0: Yeah, I was going to clarify, Norma, you mean come and go outside when it's not January, February or March, right? Is that what you meant?
2: No, I would really encourage people to come. It's, uh, you know, it's Celsius, it's minus 20 something today, I think. And I'm sitting here looking out the window and it's beautiful white and Mm -hmm. I can see the mountains from my window. And I, you know, I, I'm a true Canadian. Everywhere should experience winter.
0: All right. I'm sold. What about you, Kevin? What would you add?
1: Yeah, I will absolutely echo that. Come and and be outdoors. Um, The Bow River, one of the the two rivers that Norma mentioned, um, flows right through downtown Calgary. It's a blue ribbon trout stream. um, So those of you who like fishing like you know where else can you find a you know a major urban environment where the river is so clean and healthy that you can do trout fishing from your you know five minute walk from your downtown office you know the mountains which are an hour away from calgary they're, they're an amazing just an amazing amazing um, experience summer or winter um, just come and and enjoy the the outdoors and the people
2: and in the summer, you would be hard-pressed to come here and not find some festival going on on any given weekend. All I mean, Calgary Stampede is renowned folk festival, but there'll be some outdoor festival going on almost every weekend of the summer somewhere. Excellent. All right. So that's what's going on with festivals
0: and wastewater surveillance in Canada. I guess you guys are east of the Rockies and west of the rest. Is that what they say? Um, and you'll be able to find links to the websites uh, and the resources mentioned during our discussion today in the notes for this episode. And I just want to say thank you so much, Norma and Kevin, for taking the time to talk with me today. And I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Great,
0: Thanks for choosing us, Anna.